Ninth Story Studios, giving story a voice. This podcast is part of the Dark Myths Collective. Visit darkmyths.org to discover more shows like this one. The darkness awaits. You're listening to The Private Collector. Hang on to your hats. Things are about to get weird. Today, as an early Halloween treat for you, we have The Private Collector Season 1, Episode 9. Crime scenes ain't what they used to be. Of course, for Halloween this year, thanks to Explore Gwinnett and the Aurora Theater in Lawrenceville, Georgia, we will have for you a live recording of three terrific tales, one by K.B. Goddard, one by Christopher Long, and one by Nelson W. Piles and me. A quick reminder that we do have a written anthology available on Amazon in print and Kindle. This is the first ever Wicked Library anthology. You can pick it up over at Amazon.com today. If you'd prefer to have a print version that is signed by Nelson W. Piles, Jeanette Andromeda, and me, just shoot us an email at feedback at ninthstory.com. We do have a limited number of signed copies available that we can send out to you. Today's episode features the voice talents of Mike Delgadio, Andy James Lovering, Mary Murphy, and Nelson W. Piles. Only 4% of universities in the U.S. are R1 research institutions, and Temple University is one of them. This means 100% of students have the opportunity to participate in hands-on learning and research with world-class faculty. With over 600 academic programs across 17 schools and colleges, Philadelphia's largest public university provides students with a rich variety of opportunities and propels graduates to succeed in their careers. Temple University. Schedule a campus tour today at admissions.temple.edu. Lucky Land Casino, asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Private Collector, Season 1, Episode 9, Crime Scenes Just Ain't What They Used To Be, by Aaron Vleck. He was a real looker, the kind the Janes just couldn't keep their hands off. Tall, olive skin, hair somewhere between chestnut and midnight, and lots of it. The suit screamed out dough, big time, and the shoes, well... I'd only seen shoes like that in the swank magazines Brenda looked at from time to time. I'd have said this guy had it all in spades, except 
for the grin somebody carved into his throat from ear to ear. It wasn't like the local Hudson cops, all four of them, made a habit of calling me down to the crime scene. But from time to time, they did if there was what they called extenuating circumstances. I could see what made them give me a jingle the second I walked through the barn door. The guy had been lashed to a makeshift cross, and both he and the cross were dangling upside down from the rafters in the barn on the old abandoned Jessup place, five miles outside of town. The usual bric-a-brac was scattered around, candles, arcane symbols smeared over the floor and walls, the prop shop dagger drenched in gore, a pile of something pungent burning on top of somebody's idea of an altar, and a couple of little carved whatnots that looked to be a cross between something human and something not. The thing was, though, the whole scene was the work of an amateur. The symbols didn't mean shit in any system I knew, which by now was just about all of them. The confused mess on the altar made no damned sense. And those little figurines, yeah, they were shit too. Nothing out of anything. This whole setup was meant to scare somebody. And the guy? Not from around these parts. Everybody in Hudson knew everybody else. It was just that kind of town. Alvin, the chief cop sporting a gut he turned down at the Huntsman, and a tonsure that said retirement was looming bright on the horizon, coughed and jerked his head towards the door, and I followed him back into the sunlight and fresh air. What do you make of all that, Frank? Alvin was spooked by something we hadn't seen in the barn. I followed him back out where a crude old well made out of dried mud had been busted open, and there was muck sloshed all over. Something, uh, busted open, maybe? What are you thinking? I always wanted to get these guys' input first, and Alvin was a straight shooter. Not much of a well, though. Must have had a more modern setup before the place was abandoned. How long ago is that now? I'd say five years back, you bet they had a better system all right. But the thing is, Jessup's well is, well, over there a piece. This is, well, this is a thing of mystery. Jason Ewing, my deputy... He comes out here every week to make sure squatters and those damn kids aren't messing up the place, drinking and smoking and getting into whatever nonsense kids get into. Well, Jason says this well wasn't here Monday. Must have something to do with what's inside, you think, Frank? Yeah. I moved in closer so I could get a better look at it. Then I stepped back in disgust as a rank smell belched up out of the bowels of that black maw and almost made me puke. Oh, shit. Shit's right, Frank. You know, we're, we're farm boys around here, and we smelled our share of what nobody wants to smell, and, and that stench you know, liked to make me turn tail and run screaming for my mama. I can see why. Anybody else been out here? I held my breath and scraped a bit of the blackish-green gunk off the lip of the well and put it in a jar I always carried for this sort of thing. Well, just Jason. He told me, and now you. Let's keep it that way for a while. I need to look into some things. And Alvin, thanks for the call. Alvin looked around to make sure we were still alone. You gonna come back later tonight? As you do, Frank? You know, take a closer look at things on the sly? I'll make sure nobody bothers you. You know it, Alvin. I'll be back later. You wanna come along? No, sir. Just funnin' with you, Alvin. 
I'll be back later. With that kid of yours and all, yeah? Alvin knew I brought more to bear on things than his buddies in blue. But beyond that, he just didn't want to know. I nodded. Yeah. Phew. Oh boy, thank you, Frank. You think we might need to get his nibs in on this? I knew he meant the librarian. I expect so, Alvin. Let me do what I can before we drag him into it, but yeah, he'll have to know. I knew full well the librarian would already know what had happened here, but I was going to get as much of the picture together before I went up to the library. No reason for him to come down here himself now, is there, you suppose? Well, I, I know he's got the right, no denying that. Not meaning no disrespect for the man. Well, Lord knows he's got the right. I don't expect he will. He doesn't venture out much. You ever met him yourself? I mean, in person? <sighs> no. No, not me. Never laid eyes on the man. But my daddy did. He was a flat foot like me and his daddy before him. Well, years before I was born. And now, I only heard him tell it the one time. But he'd been walking his beat down by the river near the train station. The river fog had come in something fierce and nobody was around. You know, never is that late at night down there. Well, anyway, my daddy, he's seen this real tall fella walking slow like up ahead of him through the fog. Well, he'd been about to call out and see who it was and what business he had down there in the dark. When that man, he turned around and looked my daddy full in the eye. And he said, best get on home to Maddie now, Clay. All's quiet down here and if anything were amiss, well, I'd set it to rights myself. You rest assured. Now, get on home. Well, my daddy ran all the way home like he was told and buried himself in his pillow, sobbing like a tot. Mama couldn't get nothing out of him except him whimpering, that face, that face. Well, he just sort of knew it was the librarian, and my daddy wasn't no ball baby. And I remember every last word of that story to this very day. Yes, sir, I surely do. Yeah, well, the librarian can do that to a man. But as best I can tell, he means no harm to the town or anybody in it. Oh, no, no, no. He's never done no harm. And he saved the town or its folks when they were in a scrape more than once. I got full respect for the librarian. That I do. I just, I... I know, Alvin. If he's going to come down here, I'll give you the high sign and you can clear out. Yeah, much obliged, Frank. Much obliged. Alvin wandered off back to the scene of the crime. Just then, I saw a formation of crows fly overhead, and I knew I wasn't the only one on the case this morning. Back inside the barn, I took note of the make of shoes on the dead guy's feet as they hauled him down. I scraped a bit of residue out of the smudge pot and made some ciphers of the scripture that was covering the walls. I knew this stuff was all meaningless, but I wanted to write it down just the same for future reference. Next, I wanted to do up some sort of look-see into the behind the behind, to find out if I could glean anything off it that might tell me what we were up against here. Besides what it was supposed to look like. Could be nothing, just a plain old-fashioned wholesome murder, covered up to throw the Hudson boys in blue off the track. Could be something altogether different. Spidey wasn't saying much yet, and there was no feel to the place one way or the other, which was strange in itself. At this point, a visit to the librarian would be a mere formality, 
just to let him know I was working things out, so I decided to wait. This wasn't one of our usual cases. I wasn't looking for any book or on the hunt for him in any way. This was actually more in my usual line, the kind of cases Doug and I used to make our daily bread on back in New York City. I headed back to the hotel on the hill to grab my toolkit I'd need to set up shop for a few hours in the Jessup barn. I looked at the wares strewn across my bed and decided what I was most likely to need on this kind of reconnaissance mission. I chose a deck of tarot cards and a tuning fork my buddy Maurice down in New Orleans had jimmy-rigged to emit vibrations that could, under the right circumstances, trap the fading images of a room where nasty things had happened in the recent past and, if they were still hanging around, catch the critters themselves and hold them for a good ten minutes. I brought my Juju doll that was never out of my pocket, and Spidey came along for the ride, of course. There was no getting rid of him. Two more things were indispensable on this kind of picnic. A shimmy wand, medium-sized, and a pocket full of scratchweed, in case I ran into something from the other side that meant me harm and needed to be erased. Of course, I never left home without my trusty 38. should the one intending to harm me bleed like everybody else. I also brought along something new, just in case. Something I'd never used before, except the one time, and kept only for the most extreme jams that none of my other tricks could get me out of. That was the shade Old Coyote had given me. The shadow of the dead bounty hunter he'd hexed up as some sort of doorway that could be used to exit the known world and step back in at your leisure. The shade only had about seven or eight good passes left in it before I'd have to retire the thing from use and bury it and do some special cleansing ritual on myself to be free of any lingering effects. I took the shade along, but I sure as hell hoped it wouldn't come to that. That was some real high coyote magic and not to be taken lightly. On account of each time you used it, you were changed somehow, and there was no way of telling what that might look like. The time I'd used the shade out west, I'd been with Coyote himself, and I'd come away not afraid of anything in this world or any other, and I was now not to be messed with in any way. Not that I was the type to be scared before. Hell no. Not in my line of work. Only now and then I'd got the whim-whams, another level of what they call self-preservation, warning me I was in knee-deep in that weird shit and I should hightail it. All that was gone. Now, anytime I sensed the presence of the other side of things, juju, hex, good old-fashioned magic of jinns out of Arabia themselves, it only got my juices flowing, and I wanted it, whatever it was. I was jonesing for it felt good. It felt real good. And I knew it was Coyote's doing. And one day, it might just get my little candle snuffed, as Maurice would say. Until then, there was no dark alley that wasn't my best pal. No hate I didn't want to meet. Even the librarian treated me different since I got back in town. Not as a peer, exactly. But he wasn't laughing at my expense as much. And for that, I was glad. Still, Old Frank Enfield wasn't the same man who'd gone out west in search of coyote, and I was still getting used to it and figured I would be for a good long while. Just shy of midnight, I pulled up to the Jessup place in Alvin's daddy's rusted-out Ford 
He'd loan me the heap so I could get to work and not drag him out there for a ride. After setting up half a dozen hurricane lanterns in a circle under where the body had been found dangling, I dragged all my gear in from the truck. I set a match to a pot of sage, something I'd picked up from Coyote, and found it worked like a charm for clearing the air of any distractions. Then I set out some scratchweed for getting rid of the small pesky haints that inhabit places long abandoned by humans. They're not much more than rodents and insects out of juju. Harmless, but they get in the way and muddy the waters if the big boys happen to show up. The only things the weed has no effect on is the larva, and I hadn't seen any of their glistening trails earlier when I'd been here. Larva are the spawn, the calling card and harbinger of the major bad news, such as the like I'd encountered out in New Orleans, on old Amity Philippe's island lair. I had no way of telling what was out back with that well, but I'd come to that in due time. I set out my juju doll center stage and gave him a close watch on the proceedings. Then I sat down with my deck of tarot cards. This was just a preliminary read, and it was anybody's guess what I'd need and what I'd come up against before this was through. The last thing I took out was my scout knife, in case I needed to draw a line in the sand, so to speak, and keep anything away from me, or in case anything that bled needed cutting. Now, some might wonder why I used my old scout knife instead of some fancy doodad blade or some such the like, but it's like this. That scout knife was full of the best juju and was always there for me when I needed it, no matter what was called for. It was part of me in a way that no foolishness from a prop shop or antique store could hope to match, so I gave it the honors of standing in when I might need a blade. Then I laid out the cards as I do and took their measure. Now, everybody does the cards different. Sure, there's basic layouts and whatnot, but the way they touch you and you see what they got to say is always different for each person. Now for me, when I laid them out and I got a look at them, they'd spring open and a story would pop into my head like I was seeing it unfold right in front of me. If I knew it was a true read, I'd take the individual cards and make a deeper kind of sense of it. Now and then, though, they just laid there in front of me saying nothing. Just cold pieces of lacquered paper. No story. No nothing. And I knew that was also true. It meant the door was closed and I had to try something else, or put the whole reading thing away for another time. I always hated when that happened, and there was somebody sitting there in front of me looking for signs and portents on what to do. That's why, over the years, I laid the cards for people less and less, except for work, and for those in my party, Maurice and Martine and Doug and anybody else who could keep up and not need hand-holding. So I laid out the cards and waited a minute or two after seeing where they landed. They just laid there. I picked one up, ran my hand over the spread, and opened my mind's eye. Nothing. Everything was clean as a whistle which just didn't cipher, given what had gone on here, and the jungle of symbols and images spread out around on the walls and the floor, and what I knew was a unique mix of blood and ash and something else. It just didn't make sense. Nothing here fit. There was no connection. No talk back and forth between the parts. Now, I'm a master of mixing this and that, 
from a dozen systems and making them work just fine. You can put anything together with the right combination of spit and bobby pins, if you know what you're doing. Thing was, the cards just lay there, no dots connected. And I was feeling a bit like I was being played for a sucker, taking this thing seriously and bringing my gear and expertise to play on the proceedings. But there was still some poor bastard down in the morgue, and somebody wanted me, wanted us, to think that Juju was somehow involved. Maybe it was. Just not how it looked. I shut things down and went out back to examine that well, and what was oozing around down there in the dark. The smell was rank, and almost more than I could stand. Holding my nose... I looped one end of a piece of twine through the end of a special shimmy wand I'd rigged up, just for the purpose. I'd bored a hole through the end, and threaded it with the twine like a needle, and let it drop into the muck below. The twine went taut, like somebody was holding it. So I tried to haul it up, but the twine snapped, and I heard the sound of something walking around down there. The rank odor disappeared, and I took a few steps back from the lip of the well. Something was happening. I felt a rush of cold, dead air in my face, and a pale mist rose like a corkscrew from the well, paused, then circled me, taking my measure, I suppose. Then it melted away toward the river and was gone. Learning nothing for certain, but seeing there was something for me to investigate here, I packed up and went home, showered, and then hit the hay. The next morning, I was awakened by the sound of somebody banging on my door. It was Alvin. You gotta come down to the station. We got an ID on the body. He's a friend of those folks living in the old church on North 2nd. Now, he was staying with them and disappeared day before yesterday when he went for a walk. We started heading on foot up Warren Street to the station a few blocks away. You find out anything last night? Yes and no. There was nothing I could get a bead on in the barn... And that tells me something. Whatever went on in there, it was a setup, made to look like something it wasn't. There was no aftertaste, no shadow of any occult doings in the barn at all. Just your old garden variety dead guy, rest his soul. But I get the feeling that's not all. I could tell Alvin didn't like any of this stuff. I suspected he had a latent tendency toward it himself, which made him wary and why he called me every time he got a hint of something from the funny business side of town. Which was smart on his part. No, that's not all. The well out back was hot as a pistol, and I saw something come out of it and head for the river. Something? Like what? Not sure yet. Some kind of mist. And I need to find out where it came from and where it was headed. You said the folks up on North 2nd knew the dead guy. North 2nd is up by the river. I need to talk to them. I figured, Frank. They're already at the station. Alvin shoved the door open and we barreled in. And I saw the pair of slicks sitting there waiting for us. They'd come up from Manhattan just six months ago. Publishing folks from the sound of it. Writers. And he was some sort of professor from the Smithsonian. Real eggheads. But also fashionable, artsy types. The kind that can be a gas over a few drinks. Or... A real pain in the ass. Introductions were made all around, and then Alvin ushered us into the captain's office for a private tete-a-tete. So, how well did you know this guy? What was his name? 
Tyler asked him. We knew him pretty well, from the city, socially. You know how it is. She was cool as a cucumber, and that struck me funny. Her demeanor was matched in her suave companion, Noel. You don't seem too shook up about your pal's untimely demise, ma'am. Why is that? He wasn't really a close friend. Just somebody we knew. Our circle is large, and not everybody is a bosom chum, if you know what I mean. Well, I guess what I'm getting at, ma'am, is any bad blood between you folks? Any reason- Any reason we might invite him up here and then cap him in practically our own backyard? No. None that comes to mind. She rolled her eyes, and that put me into a rage. And her silent friend's stifled laugh at her antics made me want to punch him one in the mouth. Look, what Aaron means is no. No reason to kill him, not enough reason to refuse to let him come up for the weekend. We'll help in any way we can. You said there were some strange things at the scene of the murder? Can you tell me what it was exactly? It was a lot of occult stuff. Some symbols in a well where there shouldn't have been one. I watched them carefully for any response they might have. Remembering the strange mist that had wafted off toward the river, their backyard. What did you find there exactly? He shot Aaron a glance as he said this, and she responded with an almost imperceptible shake of her head. This pair was up to something, and I didn't know if it was knowledge of the murder, or my line of work, or both. You folks, you can tell Frank here whatever's on your mind. He works with this sort of thing. I'll go get some coffee for all of us. With that, Alvin beat a hasty retreat from the captain's office, and left the three of us staring at each other. Aaron's eyes narrowed, and she leaned forward in her chair as Noel spoke up. So, just what kind of detective are you? Well... Like Alvin said, there was some occult imagery found at the scene, and I know about that kind of thing. So, they call me in, and it looks like that's part of what's going on. Hudson's an odd little town. You two know anything about that stuff? Yes. We're not new to the occult, if that's what you mean. So we may as well cut to the chase. I don't know what happened to Tyler. I really don't. Neither does Aaron here. But ever since we moved in up here, things haven't been right. I'd like to know precisely what you found. Artifacts, drawings, anything left behind that shouldn't be there. And the, the thing is... The thing is, we're being interfered with here, in our own work. And we can't figure out what the hell it is. And that's usually not a problem for us. We can't get any information from anybody who was associated with the church before us. They just shut down. Literally hang up the phone whenever I call anyone and identify myself. I could tell she didn't like being stumped. If they really were familiar with anything to do with the occult. With Juju, yeah. The diocese sold the church against the will of the priest and the whole congregation. They just about mutinied. And the boys up in Albany had to seize the property in order to make the sale. I figured it was something like that. That's just dandy. But we're still trying to figure it out. There's something just not right with the place. What have you got? Anything? I'm on this business with Tyler, you think it might be connected? Not exactly sure, but why not? Him being your pal and all. He into any of this himself? No! no. <laughs> Sorry. He's just so mundane. 
was so mundane. There was hardly anything to talk about with him except jazz. She licked her lip and got a faraway look like she was leafing through the files of her memory. I took a close read on the place where he was found. There was nothing. Not a trace of anything lingering. I could get nothing off the cards. You know, tarot. There was a bunch of symbols splashed all around, but I can assure you, it was just gibberish. Maybe gibberish in a personal magical language? I blanched. Not my area of expertise. I'd never run across anything like that before, but I was still getting my sea legs, it seemed. Spidey piped up and let me know these two were on the up and up, and I could use their help. I can't say on that score. I'll ask Alvin to let the two of you go take a look, then tell me if it means anything to you. It's the same with me. I haven't been able to get a single clear reading since we moved in here. And dreams. Neither of us have dreamed since we came here either. And that's so strange. Yeah, I read you. What about this new well that wasn't there last week? I ran a shimmy wand down there to the water and it got ripped out of my hand. A couple of minutes later, a coil of mist rose up, sidled up to me like it was taking my measure, and then it floated off toward the river. Towards your place, I suppose. I watched them as they digested this. I liked them, actually, and hoped we could chew the fat over a few beers once this whole thing had blown over. Well, the mist does behave strangely out over the river, and clings to the trees in our yard sometimes. I don't like it, but again, no clue where it comes from, really. And with my... our abilities in that direction stifled here, do you have any ideas, Mr. Enfield? I do, for starters, if you'll agree to it. We'll agree to just about anything at this point. Just tell us what you want us to do. For now, nothing. Just give me the keys to your house in a few undisturbed hours some night. The sooner the better. You got it, Frank. Noel shoved his hand out, and I took it, noting a firm, cool grip. We walked the three blocks up Warren Street to North 2nd, and then hiked up the hill to the big old brick church that Aaron and Noel had called home for the last year. Here we are. You want to come in now and take a look around? No, I want to come in fresh and ready to work. Later tonight, if you don't mind. I see the fog building out there, and I'd like to get this thing going. How about I go back to my place and grab my gear, and then come back? You folks have some place you can go for a few hours? Yeah, we'll drive into the city, have dinner, see a show or something, come back in the morning. Noel handed me the keys to the joint. About a half hour later, I was throwing a few more things into my kit, and then headed back up to North 2nd. The work wasn't done on the place by a long shot, but the choir loft was now Noel's quarters, and Aaron's digs were in a couple of the smaller changing rooms downstairs. The rest was the wide open space you'd expect in an old church. Downstairs was a massive rec room where they probably held bingo and ice cream socials in their day. There was also a huge industrial kitchen. Aaron had left some cold cuts and bread for me, and there was a steaming pot of fresh coffee. I was pouring the coffee when I felt it, and I froze. It was the light breeze on the back of my hairline, like a woman brushing my neck with her lips. I spun around, but there was nobody there. No doors or windows open. Nada. But it felt wrong. Oh, God Almighty, did it feel wrong. 
Then the other thing hit me. Like that split second when you hear a loud noise and you can't tell if something just crashed to the floor or the roof was caving in. Without thinking, I ducked and covered my head with my arms. But there was nothing. Just the feeling that something was barreling like a runaway freight train straight for me. Something was coming. I'd never felt anything like this before. But it was heavy juju, whatever it was. I ran for the stairs and made my way back to the main floor of the church. Nothing. But still, it was coming. Getting closer and closer. I made my way towards the front of the church. And then it hit me. This time, like a ton of bricks. Something physical but invisible had materialized right in front of me, not an inch from my face. Then, it was behind me too. Then it was boxed in on all sides, tighter than a coffin. Like a flash, whatever it was, passed through me like I was thin air, and I staggered and almost fell. The blood rage boiled up inside me like a geyser. Nothing had ever touched me like this before, and I just about came unglued like a wild animal. I turned around, and the double front doors of the church were standing wide open. The doors Aaron and Noel never used. There was somebody on the front stairs. He was a tall man in a priest's everyday garb standing at the top step, his back to me, a shotgun in his arms raised and trained on the heavens. I saw his body jerk once, twice, as he fired off his rounds, but there wasn't a sound. I charged out there under the steps to confront the guy, but when I got out there, I could see he wasn't a man at all, but some kind of sickly haint that had once been a man. I did a simple banishing to clear some space where I stood, knowing this was the heart of the matter right here, and then I called out. The shape turned slowly around and looked right at me. His eyes were the lifeless crazed pools of nothingness that could suck you in and make you lose yourself forever. A leech. Or, rather, the thing that had been a man was possessed by a leech. Now, a leech is the very lowest order of haint, really not much more formidable than a leech you'd find in a lake or stream. The thing is, though, they're bloodsuckers, too, and always hungry like their namesake. Being haint, they seek out other haint to feed on. And the only human haint that's weak enough to feed on is kids the insane, and some kinds of dopers and booze hounds. I'd never rightly seen one of them before, but my buddy Maurice down in New Orleans had always warned me about them. The thing locked me in its gaze, but I turned away. Knowing it couldn't get a grip on me, the specter melted into a milky fog and floated off towards the river like the mist I'd seen oozing out of the well at the crime scene. Putting the pieces together with what I knew and what I suspected as I opened my between senses, was that the priest who'd run this joint had succumbed to the bottle and been saddled by a leech. Who knew what that firing off shotguns toward heavens meant? But it didn't take much of an imagination to give it some shape. The leech that rolled the poor old bastard while he was alive was making a real feast of him now that he was dead and doubling its ability to feed by using the power of a dead man, a human shade. I figured the leech had finally gotten enough power to come out of the well, to create a rupture in this world, 
and use the well it created to slip in and out of the here and now. But to grow as strong as it needed to, it had to feed more on something with more octane than some sorry old dream shade. I needed to close this case up fast before the librarian took hold of things. I wanted him to see just what old Frank Enfield could do on his own. I figured I had this case skinnied out, and I knew what had to be done. For the town, for my pals down at the cop house, and for the poor old bastard who'd one time been the parish priest here. It was pretty easy, really. Routine for a guy like me. Like most things, the hard part was what the eggheads called the diagnosis. I was 95% sure on that score, and it was enough to lay out a plan. The first thing was to parse out my hex grid, what some folks call a circle. I liked a grid because it could punch through more layers of things. I wouldn't even need any of my gadgets and gizmos for this thing. I walked to the center of the main floor of the church and laid my grid. Then drew everything I had in the way of blood, feral rage into the pit of my gut and let it sit there, gathering heat. This was me. Frank goddamned Enfield, and nobody, nothing, touched me without an invite. I fumed to myself, and then bellowed it out in my deepest command voice. I threw my arms open wide and let the whole big cavernous place fill up to bursting with my presence, my juju. I could see the old priest in my mind, a tired, wrinkled old man, lost and empty. I could see the thing, the leech that had been feeding off him for years. Wasn't that old man's damn fault. Hell, it sure as shit wasn't him that walked through me and grabbed the big feel on the way out. Something shiny and black welled up inside me, and I started tingling. Damn, it felt good. Always did. I opened myself to the thing that dwells in the pit of my bowels and has its crown among the stars. The dark light that fires the beast within that is me and not me and can't be tamed or denied. With that, I struck at the specter that had stood on the front steps of the church, the conjured and pustular creature that had once been a priest and was now the host of a thing from another plane of being. Then the rage of power was flooding out of my body like light, black light pouring out of a lamp, and I was that lamp. It burst out in all directions, hereabouts and in between, and soon it got a hold of the thing, the leech that had grown strong enough to grow a husk, a physical body of sorts, the mist that ate its way through that earth and poured out of that vile well out on the old Jessup place. That mist had grown strong enough to take its next prey, Aaron and Noel's friend Tyler Aston, and grow stronger still. That told me something else. The thing was smart. Not like a lower order of hate, after all. The mist had obviously used Tyler as a generator to gather strength. The flesh and blood variety needed to control a young man in his full vitality. I could just envision Tyler setting up that scene in the barn, thinking he was fixing to make big magic, and then being danced around like a puppet. It was a vile and disgusting thing to consider. The creature in the mist must have gotten a real charge out of making the guy slash open his own throat, and then been strong enough, material enough, to lash him to a cross 
and string him up. Beyond that, there'd been no reason for any of this, except to throw anybody off who might be looking into things, meaning me and the librarian. Except, maybe there had been another reason. Some things just like to play with you, make you dance for their amusement, even if they can't take you down. I grabbed hold of the leech and crushed it to my chest. Then, with every bit of feral rage, my eyes saw only red as I ripped the thing to pieces and flung it to the four winds that carried it to places in between that aren't so welcoming and forgiving as our own. And there, it found its way to the pit, from which no thing ever crawls back. Then I collapsed on the floor, spent and laughing like a damn fool. The air was fresh and clean now, like after a summer rain in a hot New York August, and I knew the old man was gone, off to his just rewards or wherever he was bound for. I laid there a while, regaining my natural strength. I was starving, too, like I always was after these things. But it was nice just laying there in the dark, knowing the moon was rising somewhere over the Hudson. After who knows how long, I heard the front doors creaking open and felt a cool breeze wash over me. Somebody was laughing, and it sounded like it was coming from a million miles away. I looked up to see if my new friends had come home and was shocked to see the towering figure in the doorway, chuckling and shaking his head. Not your best look, old man, but good show nonetheless. The librarian's voice boomed through the cavernous church like he stood at the pulpit, delivering his best fire and brimstone. Now get up, brush yourself off, and come to dinner. We don't want to keep our guests waiting. I jumped up, strangely refreshed, and ready to go for whatever caper the librarian had next for me. By the time I reached the steps, the librarian was already disappearing down the street. By the way, Frank, I do hope that in your various travels, you've developed a taste for raw fish. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.